0: Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within thy wounds, hide me. Suffer me not to be separated from thee. From the malicious enemy, defend me. In the hour of my death, call me and bid me come unto thee that I may praise thee with thy saints and with thy angels forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. These words of St. Ignatius of Loyola express a petition, but a a petition which is in the context of adoration. So often in our personal prayer, We simply petition the Lord. Sometimes all we do is think about ourselves in his presence. Very different from the prayer that happens when we are adoring him. When we adore him, we might be petitioning him. We might be offering thanksgiving. We may be simply praising him and worshiping him. But the focus is on him. So much of the time in our own personal prayer... The focus is on ourselves. It doesn't need to be, but that's frequently how it turns out. This distinction between personal prayer, which is self-focused, and adoring prayer, which is God-focused, helps us understand the difference between spending Sunday morning at home in private prayer or out in a park among the trees and the birds, and spending Sunday morning here in church. We can pray everywhere, and we should, but we fool ourselves when we think that we can adore God anywhere except for where we actually see him directly, which is when we are in the presence of the sacrament. Consider the difference in the Old Testament during the exiles, when there was the synagogue where a place existed to teach and to pray, very different from what could happen in the temple and only in the temple, which was the sacrifice. And so Christians can and ought to pray everywhere and teach and learn everywhere, but it's only here in the sanctuary where we participate in the sacrifice of Christ and worship God and adore him. Unless we understand that difference, we don't understand what happens here in church. And even the way we are configured can contribute to that. Some of you know I grew up in St. Ambrose Parish in Annandale, Virginia. When I was really young, we were in the gymnasium and the altar was set up where the stage would be for the eventual school when I was only five or six years old, they built a church to which my parents gave nary a dime. It was a church in the shape of a pizza hut and still is. Imagine a football and in the middle of the football was empty space. On one end of the football was the lectern, you know, the pulpit, this thing. On the other end of the football was the altar and behind that hidden, almost, was the tabernacle. The second pastor came along, Monsignor Reinick, whose chalice I use at almost every Mass. He didn't decorate or redecorate the church, but one thing he did do is he moved the altar to the middle. It was kind of a square, block, actual cube-shaped altar... And years later, talking to a a very dear priest, for whom I have a great deal of affection and admiration, an interesting conversation ensued. We talked about that change that Monsignor Reinick had made. And the priest was lamenting that change, saying that before, the people were sitting on either side and there was nothing in between, so that they could see each other, because that's where you encounter God. Truly, it's a beautiful thought and a beautiful meditation, and perfectly appropriate in Pizza Hut. In the world, and even in here, when we encounter each other, we do encounter God. But in the sanctuary, we encounter God in the flesh the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ in the sacrament. We are here at the altar when he becomes present. And even before we enter the church and approach the sanctuary, he is already present in reservation in the tabernacle where he is ready to be brought to the sick and the dying. We encounter God in a completely unique way. It is not duplicated anywhere except for where a priest is offering the Mass. When we approach, then, we are entering into a promise and a warning. It's a promise of communion with God, of intimate closeness with our Creator, our Redeemer, our Sanctifier. But it also comes with a warning to be prepared. St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians makes it abundantly clear how to be prepared and what happens when we approach unworthily. He says in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11 at verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are chastened so that we may not be condemned along with the world. We examine ourselves. We prepare ourselves spiritually, considering whether or not we are in the state of grace, whether or not we need to go to confession, whether or not it's possible to come forward for communion. And if so, we then prepare ourselves physically by fasting by refraining from eating or anything except for water or maybe medicine for a considerable amount of time so that when we approach, we approach Him not in order to get something but in order to give, to give our love, to give our worship, to give our adoration. When we give ourselves completely to Him, it is not only acceptable, it is fitting and worthy to receive him. It's precisely for this reason that so many people are not here. Now, granted, some people are not here because they're sleeping in and they're going to come to the 5 o'clock mass this evening. And Some people are at the beach. But there's a great number of brothers and sisters of ours who don't come to worship God with us as frequently as we would like, because they know they can't receive Holy Communion. It's precisely out of respect for what St. Paul said to the Corinthians, that they don't come, sadly. If you were to compare this predominantly English-speaking church culture with a more multilingual church culture, say, for instance, at my brother's parish at St. Anthony's and Bailey's Crossroads, you would see something very different. You would see a church relatively full, And at communion time, relatively few people coming up to receive Holy Communion. Why is that? Because even those who know they can't receive Holy Communion still come to worship God. They still come to offer their love and their prayers and their adoration. It would be ideal, of course, if everyone were in the state of grace and could receive Holy Communion, but the very least... The witness of those who come to worship for the very primary purpose of our gathering shows that they get it. We can learn from that. And in fact, we can make that a way of invitation, a way to invite people to come be with us more frequently. Because we don't come here primarily to get something. Primarily to receive something. We come here primarily to give. To give our love, our prayer, our attention, our adoration, our worship. And all of us worship Him imperfectly. All of us adore Him imperfectly. Even those of us who are in full communion, even those of us who are in the state of grace, we worship Him imperfectly, but we still try. We do people a great service to encourage people to come back to confession, without a doubt. We still do people a great service to encourage them to come, even when they're not going to be able to receive communion. In a week's time, when we gather for Mass again, you'll see me standing on the other side of the altar, facing the tabernacle, facing the cross, A relatively subtle change. But hopefully what it can trigger is an awareness of the purpose of our being here is to focus completely on God. Not just for one moment, but for the entirety of our time here. And that is not primarily to receive something, but is primarily to give. And when we look at ourselves, when we truly examine ourselves, as St. Paul tells us to do, we realize, well, we have nothing to give. What can I give God that He needs? What can I give God that that, that, that He wants? The only thing that pleases God is God Himself. And that's precisely what we're giving God the Father. The sacrifice of Christ. The love, the perfect love of His only begotten Son. Offered up beginning at the Last Supper and concluding on the cross. That's our gift to God in addition to our love. In addition to our prayers, our attention, our adoration. Our very act of worship is to participate in the love and the sacrifice of Christ the Son to God the Father. When this church was designed in 1956, it was designed to have the priest facing that direction. Because all of you are facing that direction too. And so we find here in this moment an awareness, perhaps, that we we do love God, but we should love him even better. And so every time we come to love him and adore him, we also offer up some kind of reparation for the times that we should have loved him better and worshipped him with more devotion. And while we're at it, to offer reparation for those who don't worship him at all. And so in those words that we associate with Our Lady of Fatima, we can pray, my God, I believe, I adore, I trust, and I love Thee. I beg pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not trust, and do not love thee. O Sacrament Most Holy, O Sacrament Divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O Sacrament Most Holy, O Sacrament Divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O Sacrament Most Holy, O Sacrament Divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment Thine. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.